0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Raise your hand if you've ever been to a parade. Anybody ever been to a parade before? Maybe like the Rose Parade, right? We, in Southern California, a lot of our folks have gone to the Rose Parade. Uh, Anybody ever been to the Mummers Parade in Philly? Uh, There's a picture of it right there. I went to that one. It's freezing cold though. It's like, you know, in the middle of the winter, and uh, but it's kind of a crazy parade. Disneyland has some cool parades too. Well, they used to, uh, and uh, hopefully they will in the future. But parades happen for all sorts of reasons, right? Celebrating the new year, maybe a holiday. holiday. Sometimes they're for silly reasons. Sometimes they're for serious ones. Sometimes for sports victories, we'll have parades. And sometimes in the history of the world, Parades have happened to celebrate the victory of war. Maybe you've seen those images of huge, giant parades welcoming home the military after World War II. American flags, crowds, streamers, motorcades of the best cars with noted people. This one here was for Eisenhower. And the people are cheering, the people are shouting. It's a parade of gratitude for victory won and the ceasing of war. Now, these sort of parades have actually been around for a long time, even going back to the era of the Bible. When a ruler or a military leader overcame or or captured a nation or a city state, they would return home to celebrations not unlike those World War II parades. But instead of the ticker tape parades with the tons of the streamers flowing down, Remember, they didn't have paper like we do today. They would grab the palm branches and wave them. They would wave them in victory. Victory. Kind of like a national flag. The citizens would uh, even walk out of the city to meet these victorious ones returning home. They would gather with them outside the city and they would parade in together. Shouts. Cheers would go all around, and instead of the general sitting in the best car of the motorcade, the king or or the commander would often be on a powerful horse, sort of strutting in victory. It was a victory parade, not unlike those after World War II. Now, in our gospel processional reading that I read in, in the midst of you just a moment ago, We saw Jesus, and it's in your bulletin there if you want to check it out again. We saw Jesus come riding into the city in John chapter 12, riding into Jerusalem. And it's the start of the most holiest of weeks. The start of the last week of his life. Now... Many people were gathered there already to celebrate the Passover. And and so many people are following Jesus into the city. and, And many people in the city are coming out to meet Jesus. They're joining the crowds. And they're already gathering around Him and they're cheering for Him and they're shouting for Him and they're waving their national flags, their palm branches. They're shouting cheers. They're shouting slogans. Hosanna, save us, we pray. The masses are crying out that He is the victorious King of Israel. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a victory parade. But Jesus... He's not sitting in a Rolls Royce at the back of the motorcade. He's not a general. He's not even an official king. He's not on a powerful steed prancing about. Jesus is on a donkey. A little donkey. A donkey that has actually never been ridden. And when when you think of donkeys, you don't think power. You don't think prestige. You don't think victory. You don't think war. You don't think strength. Maybe you think of (laughs) he's quite a character in shrek right i mean you think of the donkey in shrek or maybe you think of this guy eeyore and winnie the pooh or maybe you think of those little burrows painted like a zebra that you might have taken next slide a picture with while you were on vacation the little zebra it's a donkey now, I could keep on going, right? I mean, let's face it. The donkeys are not known for their prestige in power in culture. But here, Jesus is ushered into the city in this victory parade on a donkey. Kind of underwhelming. But the crazy thing about it is, the donkey is central to what Jesus' victory is all about. Verse 16. It says, at first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. The disciples, you see, they didn't understand it at first. But after Jesus was glorified, when they remembered back, well, it seems like in the moment at the time, they were not unaware. They weren't paying attention to the donkey during the victory parade. If they were paying attention, then they would have a greater awareness of the nature of the victory that Jesus was bringing. Now, before we criticize the disciples, it might be good for us to pause, take a look in the mirror. We get the palm branches out each year. We call it Palm Sunday. We parade around. We process in. We cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he and blessed is the king, just like the crowd but we don't really focus much on the donkey. Maybe we should this year. Maybe it's the year of the donkey this year. Because the donkey points out the enemies Jesus came to defeat. Who are those enemies? Well, you got Roman soldiers all over the place, right? They were the occupying force at the time. So many people back then, they thought the Romans are the enemy. The Romans who had conquered uh, Israel and made their presence known among us. Jesus, he's on the scene now. People are getting pumped up. This guy, Jesus, you know, he's going to restore our status. He's going to take us back to the good old days, back when King David was reigning. He's going to return us that glory. We're going to be in charge. We're going to have authority. We're going to have our nation back. They were hoping that he would help them live a free and secure life. Protected from anyone ever oppressing them again. Now, in one sense, it's true that the Romans could be considered Jesus' enemy, right? They are the ones who actually put the nails in his hands and his feet and the crown on his head, who tortured him and crucified him. But these aren't the only enemies of Jesus. Closer to home are the enemy of his own people, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the religious establishment. You've got to remember, right before this victory prayed into Jerusalem, Jesus performed a miracle of epic Epic proportions. Remember, he raised Lazarus from the dead, his friend from the dead. And Lazarus was just a little dead. He was a lot dead. Four days, already in the tomb. And with purely his voice alone, Jesus in the performative word, the word that created into existence the creation, he cries out, Lazarus, come out. And Jesus brought him back to life again. Epic miracle. I mean, you do something like that and the word travels fast, right? And so the people went out to Jesus. The people went out to see him. The people are following Jesus, coming to greet him on his parade into Jerusalem. And the religious leaders at the time, they were not okay with this. They were fuming. They got together and basically said, if we let this guy keep on going like this, everyone, everyone will believe in him. The occupying Romans will come, and they'll take away our place. They'll take away our nation. And even during this victory parade, it says in verse 19, the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And so what do they do next? We're going to experience this more this holy week But they convince Judas to betray Jesus and they arrest Jesus and they falsely accuse him and they condemn him to death. And the tune changes from Hosanna to crucify him. These religious, religious leaders would manipulate the Romans to actually kill Jesus, to execute Jesus. These are his own people. What kind of religious leadership abuses power? like that there are more enemies than just these though my friends, enemies of a deeper nature more than the Romans more than his own people and it's the reality behind why the Pharisees and the priests are acting so horribly, it's the enemy of jealousy the people who are following after Jesus, not the religious leadership and jealousy rises up within them the enemy of fear, they're afraid that they're going to lose their power, they're going to lose their position of authority that gives them that power The enemy, the enemy of hatred. They hate Jesus. They hate Jesus telling him that they need to change their lives and follow him. The enemy of greed. Jesus overthrew the money changers in in the temple, and he calls out them, making that temple into a den of thieves instead of a house of prayer. The enemy of anger. They are outraged at Jesus that he claims to be the son of God and receiving worship. Now, those sort of enemies, they're... uh, They're a little more familiar to us than the Romans and the Jewish leadership. We know those enemies, greed, anger, hatred, jealousy, fear. We've seen them out there in the world. We've seen them in the media. We've seen them in our enemies. We've seen them in our neighborhoods. We've seen them maybe in our houses. We've seen them maybe in our workplaces. And if we're honest, we've seen them in our own hearts, our own thoughts, our own actions is the brokenness we all have that we've inherited. We call it sin. We've seen these enemies rear their ugly heads in the depth of our own being. We've seen them in the world and in the circumstances around us, and we, we can't stop from being infected ourselves. We're so tempted to give in to these enemies all the time the greed, the anger, the hatred, the jealousy, the fear. They, they tempt us, they call us. They are profound enemies enemies of Jesus. There's even another bigger enemy. And for some of us, it looms closer than others. It's the last enemy we ever face. And I bet it's the one that every one of us fears if we're honest with ourselves. The last great enemy we face is death itself, the punishment for the greed, the jealousy, the anger, the hatred, the fear, the evil, the sin in our lives. Everything that put Jesus on the donkey. Who are our enemies, really? Not just some Roman soldiers or a few religious leaders back then. Jesus is going up against the very enemies that haunt us. He is going to battle against the dark places in our our hearts, in our minds. He is taking on our worst enemies. He is waging war against death and the grave. And how does Jesus go into battle against these formidable enemies, not in a fighter jet, not in a tank, not in a combat helicopter, not on a war horse, not on a chariot, but on a donkey. What is that? This sounds strange, especially since the donkey was an animal of peace, not war. It was an animal that conveyed humility, gentleness, Not violence, not bloodshed. But make no mistake, my friends, a war was going on. And Jesus would ride into the worst of what his enemies, our enemies, would do to him. Yet he didn't resort to violence. As the Romans beat him, as he was tortured and whipped within an inch of his life and blood was shed, he did not resort to violence. Blood was shed. Not the blood of Romans, not the blood of the Pharisees, not the blood of the priests, not the blood of the people who cried out, Hosanna, not the blood of the people who cried out, crucify him. It was Jesus' blood. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, humble and gentle, seeking to bring peace as the Prince of Peace. His enemies, our enemies, they attacked him. He rode in Jerusalem for one purpose, and that was to make the victory parade come true. He was riding into Jerusalem to become our prince of peace. He was riding on a donkey to show us how he would defeat all of our enemies. And so how did Jesus gain the victory? He let those enemies do their worst to him. He did not stop the violence done to him. He went willingly to the cross. Where all of our greed, our fear, our hatred, our jealousy, our anger, our sin, our evil, our death, surrounded him. And when the darkness covered the earth, it looked like those enemies had prevailed. It looked like they had won. It looked like Jesus had been defeated. It looked like he was beaten, like he was battered, like he was bloodied, like he was buried. Satan all the powers of evil had to be cheering. They thought they had won. But we know better. We know what happened next. We know of a morning that shattered the darkest places of sin and evil. We know of a stone that was rolled away, and of the hatred, jealousy, fear, anger, and greed that had been overcome by the Prince of Peace. We know of a Savior who rises from the dead to defeat death once and for all. That truth is delivered to Charlotte and Baptist today. That truth and reality is delivered to all of us as believers. And then the disciples, they understood after that that Jesus' victory was bigger than pushing back a few soldiers or greedy religious leaders, that his victory was over everything that sin and death could do to us, and it it came by riding it down on a donkey. It came by way of a cross. It came because of his victorious resurrection from the dead. My friends, the Victory Parade has been going on ever since. That parade is happening this morning. Every time we sing a hymn, every time we sing a praise song, the Victory Parade continues. Every time we pray, we raise the volume of that celebration. Every day, we follow Jesus in faith, connect, grow, and share, and obedience. We're joining the crowds who follow Jesus that very first Palm Sunday. Every act of devotion and love for Jesus is like those palms being waved once again. Today in this very service and every day in our lives of love and love, uh, devotion, we join. We join in the victory parade that takes us to an eternity with Jesus. Death is not our final destination. So on this Palm Sunday, we remember that humble yet powerful parade from 2,000 years ago. It doesn't look like the parades of World War II. But it's a picture of our final destination. It's an eternal prayer. Celebrating with all the saints the victory that Jesus won for us when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Donkey Sunday? Donkey Sunday just doesn't sound right. I get why we don't call it that. Maybe we should this one time though. Donkey Sunday, Palm Sunday, Hosanna Day, whatever you call this victory parade. The prophecy is fulfilled. All our enemies have been defeated by a humble king, a prince of peace, riding on a donkey, journeying to a cross. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And so they took palm branches, And they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel, Jesus. Amen? Amen.